Please take a Bible and turn to Psalm 67. This psalm was a harvest psalm. It concludes by telling of the increase, the harvest that has been brought in. It celebrates God's goodness and faithfulness, and it asks God for great things. You'll see the heading of this psalm is directed to the choir master or the director of music with stringed instruments, and it's considered or titled a psalm. It's the Hebrew word mizmor, which is a melody, and also a another word called a song, which is typically a song used in worship. And so it was intended to be sung. And so as you hear these words, you can think about singing them and singing them over and over to worship our God. And as we'll see a couple of times in this psalm, the word selah, many of you are familiar with that. It's just a directive. Um, we don't know exactly what it means. It might mean some specific instruction for music or a pause or something, but it is part of the text, and so that is why it is there. Hear God's word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So much of life can feel like the proverbial statement rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. This ship is going down, but we're still moving things around. We're staying busy. We're doing something. And that's what life feels like a lot of the time for many, if not all of us. It's been said that 80% of life is maintenance. I personally believe the percentage to be much higher than that. Sometimes it seems like we rarely have time for anything of great significance because there are so many things that require our attention. We wonder if there's any point, any significance in what we are doing. Our heads begin to hang low and our joy falters. We begin to ask if anything that we do has any lasting significance or matters for eternity. And we can think of several examples. Mowing the lawn. You know, it's just going to grow again. And earlier this spring and summer when it was raining so frequently, it was growing frequently, it was hard to keep up. And now we've hit into a dry spell and... All that grows is the crabgrass, but you have to mow it anyway to keep it down at the level of the other things. Cooking and washing dishes, it's an endless cycle. There's just going to be another meal to prepare and more dishes to clean up, so why bother? Laundry, the same thing. 
clothes get dirty, they have to be cleaned. Cleaning the house, you get one room clean, and then all sorts of other rooms are a mess. Changing a baby's diaper. How long is that going to last? Years ago, a friend of mine said, you know, we get the 18 to 24 pound size diapers and we leave them on till they're, till they're full. <laughs> Checking and responding to email messages. Maybe you have multiple accounts, personal and work accounts. It seems like maybe there's nothing else that you get done besides that. Chasing toddlers. Mercy. I was talking with a couple of mothers of young children this past week, and when you've got boys especially, it seems, and it feels like they've got eight arms, and they're always grabbing something, and they're here and there and everywhere. My mom had an 18-month-old boy and then two twin boys 18 months later. Having that many boys running around is like herding cats. How do you get them all together at the same time? Well, my mom had one of those harnesses, I think more than one. Now, I know those are not maybe politically correct, but I don't remember it other than from photos, so it obviously did not have a traumatic effect on my life. But my mom was 4'10". She had short legs. She had three little boys 18 months and under. Give her a break. <laughs> have mercy on these ladies that have that to do. And then when the children get a little bit older, it feels like all you do is provide taxi service. And yes, that season has begun. School is back in session or about to start. And it feels like all we do is go from one activity to another. Or maybe it's a season later in life when you're caring for a, a spouse or a family member who has declining health. Or it may be work projects that come at you so fast and furious one after another. And you know the bills are coming in the same way. The rent will be due or the mortgage will be due. And so you just keep your head down, keep working, whether it's 60 to 90 hours a week. It feels like there's not much of any purpose in our life. We all long for a great and a glorious purpose in life. We don't want to just be going through the motions, just existing, just doing these mundane, trivial tasks that feel like rearranging deck chairs on a ship that's sinking. And the good news is our God invites us, our Lord graciously invites us into the very purpose of God. And in Psalm 67, we see what God's purpose is, what God intends to do in history. Very briefly, God intends to make Jesus famous. He intends for people from every nation, every tribe and tongue and nation and language to live for the fame of the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that stands in stark contrast to the passage that we read this morning from Genesis 11. Because in Genesis 11, the people, as we heard, had been commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, spread out and fill the earth and have dominion over the earth... And yet, what were the people doing? They had all stayed in one place. And they had decided, we are going to make a tower. They said, come, let us build a, ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. God's purpose 
is to exalt his name above all so that it would be seen as the greatest name and yet the people in Genesis 11 were focused on making a name for themselves. And every one of us, if we're honest, has done the same thing ever since then. But when we leave Genesis 11 and we come to the next chapter in Genesis 12, we see that God spoke to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's covenant with Abram was that he would be blessed to be a blessing, to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth, every tribe and tongue and nation and language. God did it in a mysterious way. He chose one man from one tribe, from one nation, but his intent was always to bless all the nations. Now the problem in the history of Israel is that the people of Israel began to think this blessing was only for themselves. But God reiterated throughout scripture in Genesis 18, all the nations shall be blessed in him. Genesis 22:18, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 26, verse 4, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 28, 14, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then we come to the New Testament, Acts chapter 3, after Pentecost had come and Peter preached and he recounted the history of Israel and he comes to the end and he says, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then in Galatians 3, 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So that was always God's intention to bring blessing and joy to all the nations of the earth. The all nations would be glad in the Lord. Verse 4 of Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's God's desire for the nations. And it's too small a thing to receive this blessing of God and keep it to ourselves. In Isaiah 49 Verse 6, the Lord says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's God's intent. To bring blessing to all nations. And that bless, blessing is accomplished only through the cross of Christ. We see this in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles or the nations so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So God was at work in Christ Jesus to bring blessing to the nations. In Jesus, God gives us the perfection that we need and must have to stand before a holy God. 
how will you or I stand before the God of all the universe? We must have perfection and we can only get it from Jesus by trusting in him. His perfect righteousness is credited to our account. And in Jesus, God takes away the punishment that we deserved. So the perfection of Jesus and the punishment we deserve both are addressed in the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is news. It's something to be proclaimed. It is good and great and glorious news that we who have been believers for some time can too easily take for granted. But if we remember who we were, it's easier to find this news great and glorious. I've shared before on occasion about my seminary classmate, Gene Kaufman, who was struggling with brain cancer. He was confined to bed and he asked for other students to come and sit with him and to read scripture to him. And one day I was reading from either Paul's letter to the Colossians or the Ephesians, I'm not sure, they both have a similar statement where it says, you who are dead in trespasses and sin, God made alive in Christ. And Gene, who was just lying there pretty much weak and helpless, he had been a big burly man with a beard and deep voice, and he sat up and he said, amen, God made us alive. He understood this good news that we were dead, It's like we were on a precipice, a high mountain peak, and the wind was blowing and we were about to fall thousands of feet to our death. Or we were out in the ocean and the riptide got a hold of us and dragged us under and we're fighting for air and fighting for light and it, us, it grabs us again and pulls us under again and again and for the last time. And then in God's mercy, he sent his son to rescue us. And if that happens for you, if you are rescued from that kind of situation, you cling to the one who rescues you. You hug them and embrace them with love and thanks and praise. We long for this glorious purpose and God invites us into his purpose. And we see in Psalm 67 what God's purpose is. And it's a purpose for the nations it includes the nations, and so God's purpose is that among the nations, God intends to be four different things. He intends to be known, he intends to be praised, he intends to be enjoyed, and he intends to be feared. And we'll walk through that in verse 2, starting with verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God wants to be known. He wants to be known for who he is. If it was up to us, we would never know God. God took the initiative because we could not. We couldn't find our way to God. We were groping about in the dark for knowledge of God, and God revealed himself to us. God intends to be known. You can see there at the beginning of verse 2 the word that. That's an important word. It's a logical connector. 
And it says, this is why we want God to be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So that for this reason, for this purpose, that God, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Some people think it's wrong to pray for yourself. God has more important things to do than care about all your little things. But this is a prayer for ourselves, but it's a prayer ultimately that our attention will be directed to God and that the attention of all nations and all peoples will be directed to God. That his way, the way that God is, that he would be known for who he is and how he is. And that people would find in God a rock, the rock of salvation. God intends to be known among the nations. He intends to be praised among the nations. And verse 3 and again in verse 5, it's like a chorus in this song. It's a repeated chorus. Let the peoples praise you, O God. When you see that word peoples, it's talking about nations, ethnic groups. Every different ethnic group and tribe and language group throughout all the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God created us for his glory. The Westminster Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end or purpose of man or mankind, humanity? And the answer is the chief end of man, the chief purpose of humanity is to glorify God and fully enjoy God forever. And I would suggest that the way we glorify God is by enjoying God, by taking our greatest joy in him, by finding him as our greatest treasure. So God created us for his glory. The creator is worthy of all praise. God intends to be praised among the nations. But not only that, God intends to be enjoyed. It would be possible, presumably, for God to be praised and not enjoyed. Somebody could be going through the motions saying, okay, I praise you, God. I don't like doing this, but I praise you. God intends to be enjoyed. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God wants us to see and savor his glory, not just see it, Many of you have taken vacations this summer. You've gone to places like the Grand Tetons or the Rocky Mountains and uh, Grand Canyon or the ocean, and you've seen God's glory displayed in creation, and that's to draw you to savor God's glory. Not just see it, but savor it, to enjoy it. God wants to give us joy, the greatest joy, which is to enjoy making much of God, to enjoy making him famous. Not only does God want to be known and praised and enjoyed, God intends to be feared among the nations. A holy God is worthy of awe and reverence. And when we see who God is, the right response is holy fear. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the threshold of the temple shook. And he heard the angelic beings sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. I'm lost. He recognized that before a holy God, no one can stand unless that God extends mercy to us. And that's the good news of the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, God has extended mercy to us. 
God intends to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared, but he intends to be known and, and praised and enjoyed and feared as he is. It's no good for us if we're thinking we know God, praising a God and enjoying a God and fearing a God that has no bearing to who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture. And so God wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared for the God that he is. Namely, he's the one and only true God. We see this in verse 2. That your saving power would be known among all nations. Not just one nation, but among all nations. This God is not a local tribal deity. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one true God. God wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared as the just judge. Because God will deal with sin in righteousness. Sin will and must be judged. It will either be judged on the cross of Christ. And so you take your sin and you place it on the cross by faith and say, God, I trust you to have mercy upon me through Jesus Christ. Or sin will be dealt with for all eternity in hell if you choose to bear it yourself. We are judged based on the revelation that we have received. Now there are some people living today who may have never heard the name of Jesus Christ and some of them may die this day. They will not be judged for not believing in Jesus. What they will be judged for is not responding to the revelation that they were given. Romans 1, 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress or hold down the truth. For what can be known about God is, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So even people who have never heard the name of Jesus, if they have eyes to see, they have a mind to conceive, that when they look up and see the stars and the moon and the sun, and that there's a God who created all of these things, and that that God is overall and is worthy of thanks and praise, if they do not bow down and worship their, that God, they are guilty before God. They are without excuse, even if they've never heard the name of Jesus. But missions exists because worship doesn't. People haven't heard the name of Jesus, and so we are called to take the good news of, God, of the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation and language. God wants to be known as the just judge, but he also intends to be known as the sovereign Lord who guides the nations. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. God is the perfect and righteous judge. He will always judge rightly. He will fulfill his purpose for the nations. He is sovereignly completing and fulfilling his purpose and his purpose to get people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language to worship King Jesus. And so Revelation 
5, 9, and 10 says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This psalm, like other psalms, moves from prayer to proclamation. In verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And certainly that should bring to your mind Numbers 6, the ironic benediction from verses 24 and through 26. About the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's the same words, but here it's put in the form of a prayer. But at the end of this psalm, in verses 6 and 7, what do we see? God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So in meditating upon God's goodness and grace and who God is, the psalmist has moved from God, would you do this, to God, you will do this. So God wants to be seen as the sovereign Lord who guides the nations and fulfills his purpose for them all. He wants to be seen and known and praised and enjoyed and feared as the gracious God of heaven, offering salvation to all. In Christ, the good news of salvation is offered to all. And so that's God's purpose, to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared, to be known as the the gracious God, the sovereign Lord, in all that scripture says he is. Once we know God's purpose, our purpose becomes more clear. When we know who God is, it becomes more clear who we are to be. And so by God's grace and spirit, we can cooperate with God's purpose. We can find a joyful purpose in living for the glory of God's name and the good of neighbors and nations. We are invited in this psalm to sing it, to pray it, to make it our own prayer. God, would you be gracious to us and bless us so that your name, your way would be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. We are invited to take the prayers of the Bible and the promises of Scripture and pray those promises and then seek to fulfill them. And so as we pray, God, would you be gracious to us and bless us so that your way may be known upon earth, Use me, God. Use us to do that. I am grateful when I hear stories of some of the children in this congregation who are talking to their Hindu neighbors and talking to their Hindu neighbors about who is your God. They're having those conversations at six and eight and ten years old. And then I hear about people having conversations in an airport and talking about the goodness and grace of God and then there are opportunities wherever you go. Yesterday, my wife was taking some recyclable materials to the big bins they have over behind Olentangy High School. And there was a man there with a license plate on his car, Jesus 01. He said, the Lord has rewarded me. Let me tell you about what God has done for me. That's what all of us can be doing in life. On Thursday morning when we went to, went to men's group, I pulled up to the restaurant and I saw a vehicle that I recognize because it's a Jeep with a, a tire cover, a spare tire cover, and on the back of that tire cover it says this, in a hundred years from now you'll be dead. What's next? 
It's owned by a friend of mine. I didn't get to talk to him and see him, but it's a good reminder. We can be taking all these opportunities in life to be declaring the greatness of our God, to ask God to fulfill this prayer, to answer this prayer through your life and mine together that God would use us to make his way known on earth in his saving power among all nations. And God is bringing the nations to us. They're all around us. Chinese students, hundreds and thousands of them at Ohio State University, Somalis in central Ohio, you'll see them in the grocery store and the hospital. You'll see them in different places in your workplace. People from all different language groups in India, many of them worshiping and following the Hindu religion. Some of them, your very neighbors. Some of them who bring their children to the preschool within this building. God is intent on getting this good news to all nations. Today we came to the table of the Lord. And you come to the table, you gather around the table, and then you leave the table. When we leave the table, we go out into the world. Back in 1979, there was a student missions gathering at the University of Illinois, the Champaign-Urbana campus. It was called Urbana 79. And my wife and I were there. We didn't know each other at the time, but we were there. And at the end of that time, December 31st, 1979, as a new decade was beginning, we shared the Lord's Supper together. 16,000 students in this basketball arena on the campus. And then after that, all these students who had come to seek the Lord's will for their lives related to missions were dispersed all over the country, all over the world. Today, we're going to be dispersed from this table to go out into the world with good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. God has blessed us to be a blessing. The problem is that too often we think that blessing is for us to keep. You may have seen in the news this past week about a young man who was given a car for his birthday. Not just any car, a BMW. But it wasn't the car he wanted. A young driver allegedly pushed into the river a BMW he got from his parents because he wanted a Jaguar. The man named locally only as Akash is alleged to have pushed his brand new car after he got upset that it was too small for him and his pals. A video shows the car sinking beneath the water in Yamuna Anagar, Haryana state in northern India. It had to be pulled out using a crane. Locals said that he jumped out of the vehicle just before it reached deeper water and onlookers helped him to safety. A police official said the youth was arrogant and kept insisting that he be given a Jaguar as a, a BMW as a little small for him and his friends inside. The boy's father said, I wanted to give my son a birthday present. We could only afford to give him a BMW while he kept insisting that he be given a Jaguar. He said the vehicle was too small, but we thought he would be okay. We never imagined he would do anything like this. And then I saw in the news that the most expensive car, new car ever made, it's a French car, Bugatti produces it. And I asked my wife, who grew up speaking French in, Cam in Cameroon and majored in French in college, how to pronounce it. And it's something like La Voiture Noire, the black car. It's the world's most expensive new car ever sold, 18.68 million. It will be displayed at the world's most exclusive auto show at Pebble Beach. Only one will be built, and it won't be ready for its new owner for at least two and a half years. 
Bugatti only approached one person about buying this car. He bought it on the spot. The average Bugatti owner owns roughly 42 vehicles, five homes, three private jets, three helicopters, and a yacht, according to Bugatti. That's what we're up against in the world. The world is telling us, go for that. Don't settle for a BMW. Go for the Jaguar. Don't settle for reliable transportation. You need a Bugatti. And Jesus is saying, the blessing that you've received, the material wealth that you've received is for the spiritual worship of the nations. The riches you've been entrusted are for reaching the nations. Spend your life on this. Don't give your life for something that won't matter. Spend your life on this. Invest your life and treasure up, store up treasure where neither moth nor rust can consume a BMW or a Jaguar or even a Bugatti. Give your life to making Jesus famous so that all nations might rejoice and be glad in him. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are Lord of all nations. You are great. Great are you, Lord, and it's your breath in our lungs. And therefore, Lord, therefore, we cry out our praise. We cry out our praise to you. We pray, Lord, that you would be gracious to us and bless us so that your way would be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This we ask in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand.